Just a heads up, everyone. This podcast features adults having adult conversations, and there might be the chance of adult language. Also, we may talk about some difficult grieving experiences and themes of mental distress that can trigger some people. If this conversation stirs up some hard emotions for you, please reach out to someone you trust. Hi, I'm Tatiana Rotere, and you are listening to Crazy Grief, the podcast. Grief can make us feel like we're going crazy. It affects our emotions, our physical health, and our mental state. It has a huge impact in the way we relate to people and the way we see ourselves. Crazy Grief is a safe space for us to have candid conversations about grief and all the crazy stuff that comes with it. We are here to share our stories, how we cope with grief, and what kind of help really helps. If you lost your person and you feel like you're going crazy, let me reassure you, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. So let's talk about it. So welcome back, Neda. Thank you so much for the last episode that we got. Oh my gosh, there's so much in there for us to unpack. Um, and I still have lots of questions to ask you um, about your work as a doula. What is a life and death doula? And what are the death cafes that we mentioned before, but we didn't get into it? But before we go into that, I remember when we closed the last episode, you were talking about some of the decisions you made, some of them you're not very proud of. I think all of us can relate to that. Um, but some of those decisions kind of propelled you in the work that you do now. Um, and we, we talked about the elephant in a room. So can we pick it up from that again? Like, you know, in terms of the decisions you made um, towards the work that you're doing now that is basically talking to people about life and death and um, and the elephant in the room. So I'm just going to let you. Awesome. Well, I, I love, I love the, the use of the phrase, the elephant in the room. And when I go on most of my speaking engagements or workshops or whatever I'm doing, I actually have an elephant. Um, it's up here in my office. And my elephant's name is Mokita. I named it Mokita when I learned that in the Papua New Guinea language, the word Mokita means basically, and this is my understanding of the translation, uh, something that we all know, but we agree not to talk about. And to me, that oh. is the perfect explanation of death. And Sorry, can, can I just stop you there? Can you say that again? So the word Mokita means? The thing we all know, but we agree not to talk about. And that agreement, I'm guessing, is an unspoken agreement. Mm -hmm. We all agree because people don't want to talk about death. They don't want to think it. Now, that's the connotation I've attached to it. But, you know, that, that death is something that we all know we're going to die. Scientifically, that seems to be that our bodies are going to die. Now, I have my own personal belief systems about, you know, what happens after that, but that's my personal belief system. But, but the point being that our bodies die, cease to be in this world. And, and so we all know that, but how often do we talk about it? It's like we have this unspoken agreement that we're just not going to talk about that, right? Mm. And so that's one of the, the taboos, I guess you would say, that I'm trying to get out there and help people understand is I really believe our lives will be more enriched if we start talking about it. And is this part of the work that you do as a, a life and death doula? Actually, what, what is a life and death doula? Well, Can you explain an, to an, us what that is? An end of life doula. Well, first off, there, there's, I do life and death coaching. Meaning oh, like that coaching. That, yes, I do that, which means that I help people process things that they have in their life. I coach them through it. And, and much like you and I are discussing today, I mean, we start identifying what's important to people and, and helping them work with it. 
the death coaching as well, it can be, you know, helping people to address any concerns they have about it. I'm not trying to be a licensed professional counselor to, you know, that's beyond the purview of, of what I'm doing. But what I do is help people to explore that. And I coach people on how to have these discussions if in the death you know, in the death realm. In other words, I've actually, as an end-of-life doula, I have actually had couples come in and that really don't want to talk about this, and I have facilitated them having important discussions. Mm -hmm. And they come out of it feeling so much better, but it's like I'm this third person right? Who has made it a safe space to, and I've led them through the discussion. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, so-and-so, what do you, what do you think you'll do when your spouse dies? And, you know, because they're not comfortable saying, well, honey, I think when you die, I'm going to go live with the kids and blah, blah, you know what I mean? Or having any kind of discussion like that. And so, and then helping people to kind of get a plan to where they're both on board. So that's, that's the planning part. That's one component of the planning part I do. For example, I have a client, I've walked through their home with them and they have literally given me an inventory of who gets what. Wow. And, you know, because they have certain things they want to make sure goes to certain family members or loved ones or whatever. So that's not an uncommon thing for me to also do with people. So I'm trying to think of the planning type stuff. I've accompanied um, clients to the funeral home to make their arrangements or whatever it is that they want done. They, they want a donation uh, to donate a you know, their body, the science in some way. And so accompanied them through that. I've helped people, I've helped people write their obituaries. I've gathered their photographs, you know, all of the things that we don't normally do until somebody dies and somebody says, give me photos so that, you know, the funeral home, usually if you're using that environment, give me photos to put in, tell me what you need on the, those, I help people think through that because here's the other thing. It also enriches your life. If you think about that stuff long before you're in what I call the hot minute and the hot minute being boom, someone you love or you have died, right? And then all of these decisions are having to be made uh, in the hot minute. And I have found over all the years I've been doing this, it gives people such a sense of peace, mm -hmm. you know, um, that, that they have, have really, that when the time comes that that they're at the end of the li their life, especially if it's an end of life that, where they've had a disease and they're declining, their body is declining over that time. What I found is they can then work and enjoy work on their spiritual, whatever that may or may not be, because I honor all people where they are. I don't, I don't have judgment about that. Um, they can do that work or they can, and, and they can spend that time talking to their loved ones and reminiscing and telling funny stories and mm -hmm. talking about what music they like and whatever, you know, whatever that may be. Instead of where I've seen people frantically trying to teach their spouse how to use the checkbook. Wow. Yeah. Frantically trying, you know, they've got literally they're in the last days of their life they're able to still communicate and instead of using those communications in in I'll say enjoying they were frantically trying to make sure that their family was prepared because mm -hmm. they held information their family didn't have again that's not mine to judge but I just, if we have all that done in advance, or at least the majority of it, it means that they can choose to just really enjoy their last few, you know, the last time moments that they have. So an end of life doula does that. 
I have had someone that came in to be with their dying family member and, um, and the, they were there for weeks and the family member did not die uh, and they needed to go back to, they lived in a different uh, area of the country. They needed to go back to their life. They needed to get back to their loved ones and they also had another ill family member. So they called me because they didn't want their loved one to die alone. Mm. And while we can never, again, there's that asterisk, (laughs) we can never promise people that we will always, because, you know, especially with COVID-19 and all the stuff going on in the world, you just don't know. But I was able to, to accompany their loved one, to be with them in their last days, to literally be there when they died so that again that that removed loved one in another state knew that there knew how you know I could tell him it was a here's how the death went and and you know what I mean it alleviated some of their pressure um so that's just some indication we're not medical people although there are a lot of medical people who become end-of-life doulas but we're very clear in our work at least here in the states am I wearing my doula hat (laughs) you know my end of life doula hat at that moment or am I wearing my nursing hat Mm -hmm. because that's two separate ways that you approach things nursing can inform how you do your end of life doula work the same way my paralegal work all the years that that I've worked in law firms informs my end-of-life doula work, but I'm not being a paralegal to my client, my end-of-life clients. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, there's just so many different ways that we show up. We've talked about creating legacy, about accompanying people, going to, I go to doctor's appointments and take notes and then send the client a summary of, of what I understood the doctor to say so that they have an impartial to some degree, impartial person who can really kind of help document that. And then I do a lot of phone work with people, a college student. Hey, my best friend just got diagnosed with something, and I don't even know how to talk to them about this. Mm. I'm afraid I'm going to, yes, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Or a family member that'll contact me and say, this is happening with my family member. They're dying. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk to, you know, and just trying to help them process Mm -hmm. what's going on and what some of their alternatives might be. So that's just in a nutshell. It's kind of all over the place. <laughs> okay. You know? um, I've had all people- over the place where nobody wants to go and nobody wants exactly. to talk about. Well, that's my practice. Not, I mean, for me, I I like showing up for. It's really you've got a crisis, you've got an issue, you contact me, and I help you work your way through it if I think I can or I help you find resources that will. Um, That's kind of the practice that I do. There are end-of-life doulas that specifically deal with after-death care or Mm -hmm. specifically deal with, you know, accompanying people through their last um, few few days. Mm -hmm. Or they're, you know, I kind of am am broad uh, in, it just depends on what the, the client wants. Yeah. But a lot of it is, is phone and computer support where I just, I mean, that's where the coach stuff comes in. Yeah. Tell me what you're concerned about. Let's see how we can come up with ways that you can deal with it and empower them to deal with it. Yeah. And I, I guess not one size fits all because people's needs are different, but I, I think about in my own experiences, like um, I had seven different deaths um, that were very significant in my wow. own life. Um, but if I think about, um, for example, my father-in-law um, had cancer. And so for um, a friend of mine um, had this um, really beautiful metaphor because she also experienced the death of 
both parents and her father-in-law in different ways. And she said that with her um, father and her mom, um, because they were ill, um, they had time, you know, together. And so the same with my father-in-law. He had cancer. And so it was like the door was slowly closing. Mm -hmm. And and that was just um, kind of just giving us the space to talk about things that we otherwise wouldn't because we knew that that door of separation eventually would shut. But with my husband, it was a very different thing. It was almost like the door was slammed on my face mm -hmm. because it was a sudden death that we could not have ways to prepare for. Um, so I think that with the work that somebody like you um, do for people, there is the aspect of um, that you talked about, about helping loved ones or caregivers also to come to that um that the death point, the hot minute, right? Mm -hmm. um, when the door slowly comes to close. What is the work that um, yourself would do with somebody else that is um, left behind after the door slammed shut and a loved one passed away? Well, obviously it depends on the circumstances in the person because there's not one answer that fits all. But what I have done in the past is, first off, I can be with them or support them through the actual death experience and then of, of their loved one. And then afterwards, just be a, a sounding board and a support. I mean, and again, depending on how one is dying and, and what experience they're having, there are certain things that are that are not unusual when someone is dying. And so to have somebody to say, oh, that's a very common side effect. So for example, it's, it's not uncommon for someone to not want to eat a whole lot, if at all. I experienced last, that. In, yeah. in the last few days. Uh, well, and I'm talking about the dying person. Oh, I see. My father-in-law experienced that. Right. And so many of us are geared towards, wait a minute, we eat three meals a day and, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so once somebody hits day three, day four of not eating, of, you know, it's, it, it can make you think, oh my gosh, they're suffering. Well, actually, I think, and again, I'm not a medical person. I don't try to stand in that, but I believe that, that certainly in the hospice situation I've seen, I've, I've helped family member after family member understand as well as the hospice staff to help them understand that that's a common thing that happens because as our bodies are starting to shut down right the physical body is dying actually putting food in it can hurt can that can actually create suffering because because we're not swallowing, because we're, there's just all kinds of different reasons. But so many of us have it in our heads that, you know, oh my gosh, we've got to feed them, right? Mm -hmm. And so helping people to understand some of the things that they're experiencing. It is not uncommon. And again, I respect all people's belief systems on this, but it is not uncommon to start seeing loved ones who were dead in the room. So okay. to, to start talking for the, the deceased, the person who's dying, to start talking about, you know, oh, Bob is here. And it's like, Grandma, Bob's been dead for 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and just people to understand that's not an uncommon thing to happen. Um, it's not uncommon for people to start talking about going on a trip or I've got to pack my bags or I've got to, I mean, and it's almost like the language of I'm preparing for my journey, mm. you know, to, to it, whatever your belief system is to go to the other side, to whatever that journey may or may not be, but that there's just certain things. So someone in a hospice environment and end of life doula can, can help family members to understand this is, this is a common, 
this is not unusual. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you think, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? They're talking about X, Y, and Z. And actually that may not be that uncommon. Um, and there are things, there are materials out there to help family members to, to read up on that as well. But that's another thing that, that we can do. So after the death, just checking on people, supporting them, helping them make arrangements. Since I am a, a minister, I also can, you know, it's not uncommon for people to ask me to lead the service. So I'll lead the service. And I've done some very unusual services because I'm all about, let's just do what, what, what the people want. And, you know, I, the God of my understanding is a God of love. And so I don't think they're going to get upset if everybody wants to play rock and roll music, you know, in the service, you know, I just, that's just not my belief system. And so, so just helping people to figure out what that is, because it's, it, you know, the service from my perspective is to really help the living to grieve and to, to, to really process and honor the life of the person that's died. So it's, I get involved in that as well. And, and say, you know, talking about the, the living that are grieving, um, for someone like me, for example, so my husband died and we did not have um, our affairs in order in terms of what we wanted um, when we died or we had conversations about that, um, but very few and they were not in depth. Um, and then he dies. And so if I would come to you, for example, at that time, um, because I was very scared of dying and leaving my kids in a, in a mess, basically. And not only with the the, uh, the sadness and the, the emotions that come with grief, but also in a mess financially, in a mess that have to do with the legal and, and document mess that my life was. What would be some of your suggestions like um, to someone like me, for example? Um, I lost my husband. And I need to put some of some things in order, like um, I don't even know where to start. And I come to you. What would your suggestions be? Again, everyone's situation is is unique. But based on the limited amount of information I know now, what I would first say is you probably need to see an attorney. And here are resources, you know, if, and, and if you're unable to see an attorney, at least in the States, right, that, that would be my answer here. Um, because they can help you to, to prepare the paperwork that, well, I'll just ask you some tough questions, you know, and you don't have to answer them, but these are some of the questions I'm, I would ask. Do you have paperwork together on who's going to make medical decisions for you now that your husband is, is no longer here? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you probably need to have that, right? Because you've got minor children. If you have minor children, what are your wishes that if something happens to you, that you die while they're still minors, who do you want to have custody of them? Mm-hmm. And what paperwork have you done to prepare that? Those are all things that are from, at least in the States, those are all things beyond the scope of what I do. But, and so I refer people, you know, I think you need to go see an attorney. Um, but that's really important paperwork. And as a parent, for example, I want to make sure that, and again, every family is unique, but you, and, and this is just a general statement, nothing about you personally, but you may have a family member that you do not want your kids to be raised by, mm-hmm. right? But that's why it needs to be in writing or, yeah. or communicated. And, you know, in your household, what needs is there a way for people to come in and be able to conduct your affairs? And that for me is where our book, you know, because our kids would be flying, you know, if my husband and I are both gone, our kids will be flying in from out of, you know, another other parts of the country. And they don't even know where we bank. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? They don't know where my insurance policies might be. They don't know where my house deed may be. All of those things. So one of the things I do is help people get all that together mm-hmm. so that it can, um, you know, but, but usually that's going to be a referral to, to an attorney or okay. some professional. Also, depending on how the person is processing their grief, it may be important for them to perhaps attend a grief session of some sort. Uh, Like there are all kinds of grief support groups. Um, And I always encourage people to do that if they feel that's something that they want to do. Or to, uh, like for example, our hospice here has a very good um, grief program that people can do for free. You know, so those kinds of what resources are available to support you in all the stuff that you're going to have to deal with. Which is a lot. And I remember, I remember the first time um, that I had to go into a, um, here in New Zealand, we have this government agency called Work and Income. And you go there to um, apply for government aid, or, you know, here we call it the benefit, which is... When you are under hardship, you can go and get some government um, monetary assistance and, and other types of assistances as well. Like, for example, you can get some counseling um, paid for, you can get some medical um, bills paid for. And so you have to go there and go through, you know, the process. And it's it's a government agency. So it's not all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It's a very, very dry. Um, and there are some amazing people that work there. I had the opportunity to actually meet with, they call, they're called case managers. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them were really compassionate and really kind, but some of them were not. They were just really dry and, and really really matter of fact and when you're hurting and then you come there filling paperwork after paperwork and oh my god to tick that box of your um, marital state and to tick the box widowed mm-hmm. I the feeling and I I know I can be a little dramatic you know from my <laughs> acting background but it was almost like I couldn't the, uh, the pen got I was mm-hmm. strangling the pen and I couldn't quite tick that box mm-hmm. and I was shaking to do that because I didn't want to be a widow and the acceptance wasn't there and I remember having a friend of mine who is a social worker and she said to me Um, She called just to, uh, I believe in divine appointments because Mm -hmm. she called when I was filling out that form and she was like, hi, darling, I'm just, I'm just checking on you. You're in my heart right now. How are you feeling? I burst into tears and I was saying to her, I can't fill out this form. And so she came over and we filled out the form together and she asked me, do you want me to take that box? And I knew I had to. I just mm-hmm. had a really big cry with the person that I felt safe with before I took that box. And she said to me, okay, let's make the call to book the appointment and I will be there with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, you don't have to come. I didn't want to be a bother. And I think a lot of people that are dealing with grief and trying to deal with all the legal stuff and the financial side of things, they just don't want to be a bother to other people. And you don't want people to be pitying you. And so I said to my friend, look, it's fine. Thank you for coming. I don't need you to come. And she insisted. And Mm -hmm. she came with me. And I am so glad she did. Because when we were there, the person, the first person that I met, so I had... um, three different documents that I was applying for three different um, uh, financial assistance. And one Mm -hmm. of them was called a sole parent benefit. Another Mm -hmm. one was called an accommodation supplement. And another one was called, was about um, in New Zealand, we have um, this application that you can um, ask for a certain amount of money to help with funeral costs, depending on how much you earn. And at that time, I wasn't working. I was doing my master's and Jason was the only one earning. So I, I could apply for all of those. Right. And so the person had all of those three papers right in front of them. They called my name. Me and my friend came. We sat down and she's typing away. 
not really looking at me. And then I remember she's saying, so Tatiana, you're applying for, and she picked up the first one and it was the so parent benefit. And she goes, um, so parent benefit. So when did you and Jason split up? And I remember saying, and I'm sorry for those who are listening, but there is, um, uh, you know, forgive my, my swearing words, but I said, well, we split up on the 9th of May when he decided to have a fucking heart attack and die. (laughs) And so uh, my friend was there with me and she put her hand on my knee and I was shaking and I didn't think that a good Christian lady like me would just murder out the F word just like that. And, oh, it's quite but I was, I was upset and I was shocked. And the whole process was really hard. But even yeah. to have that response, she, I probably was, I don't know, the hundredth person that she saw that day, mm-hmm. right? And nothing against that woman. But right. that was really hard for me. And it made all the difference having a friend there that is a social worker that could be a support for me in that moment. I, I appreciate you telling that story. That's really something that end-of-life doulas certainly do for people, as well as social workers and other people fit that category, and good friends. But it is invaluable to have someone with you. I can't, I, I have a friend speaking of, and I apologize if this offends anyone, but I have a friend that refers to me as the best badass advocate she's ever met, (laughs) you know, and, and so for, for, for some of, I mean, you need an advocate, whatever that, and multiple people can fill in that role. It doesn't have to be an end-of-life doula. I'm not here to tell people, oh my gosh, you need to have an end-of-life doula, but they can fill that role for you. They can be, be, and they can really be there to walk with you and accompany you um, through multiple stages of the experience that you're having. But I will say, yeah, I am a badass advocate and I'm proud of it because my job is, is to support people that are going through absolute life-changing experiences. So I'm going to do the best that I can. Yes, yeah, people they are. are so vulnerable, and I think that I'm so grateful that I had people around me to help me and support me because. But not everybody has that. No, not I mean, everybody. Has another that. large population of people that I work with are what you would call lone elders, hmm. meaning people who don't have children, people wow. whose spouses have died, or for whatever reason they 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 don't have a partner, and so. They still have affairs that need to be dealt with. Mm. They still have needs that they want to, you know, have help with. And so having someone that they can trust to come in and and just accompany them through the different processes, you know, and and for example, I have I have a client that I, you know, all the paperwork's been done that I will take possession of their cremains. And again, they've given me instructions on what it is that they want with an asterisk, because I always ask for one, um, so that I will make sure that everything that they wanted done is done in the way that they want it done, because there isn't a family member anymore. They've outlived everyone. Yeah. Um, One thing that's coming to my mind right now is that I think that a lot of um, friends often friends or even family members for whatever reason they might not be able to give people that kind of support absolutely and and I'm just thinking now about that you know um, just putting it out there for people that might be listening to us right now they can um, as a gift if they are not able to be there they might be able to contact you or someone that does what you do and pay for your services so that this can be a gift to the person that they want to support you know Absolutely. who is dying or who has someone that has died and now has to deal with the aftermath of that and mm-hmm. so it, there is so many ways for us to be able to support the people that are grieving because 
um, I, for example, wouldn't be able to drop everything and my kids and my my job mm -hmm. to go and support someone in the way that they might need. And what I can offer sometimes might not be what they might need. And so, but I can contact someone like you and give them that gift by paying for your services so I can right. be the bridge. Yeah, it's like a gift certificate. And so, for example, someone gifted me with a massage once. Mm, you know? I love those. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so the, the point being, they were like, here's this gift that I wanted to give you. Here's a gift certificate. I paid for you to have this massage experience or whatever. And so I do that for people as well, is that if, you know, it may be an unusual gift, <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> it, yes. it, um, I want to believe that, that no matter what, people will come out of the experience better than when I met them. Yeah, and perhaps it might be a gift that you need to check with the person first as well, because, you know, not everybody likes massages, and not That's everybody right. That's might right. be appreciative of, you know, right. a, um, a death and, doula coming and knocking Well, and especially because a lot of people don't understand what they can yeah. do. And so, but if you're, if you understand enough, you can say, you know what, this person can accompany you to the funeral home if you don't have family to do this, or this person can talk to you about how to best prepare for your, you know, mother's death. Or, I mean, there's just so many, like we've talked about, you know, throughout this whole experience, all the different things I do, it's, it's generally more helpful if you are able to say to them, I really think they could help you with X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Because most people's reaction is going to be, I don't need one more thing. Yes. I, you know, yeah. I, I just, and I get that. I really get that. Yeah. Um, but people who are skilled the, the way I am, end-of-life doulas, we're there to help, not to add to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not Take to away add to the, the pressure. Hurt. That's right. The pressure. To be the yeah. badass advocate, yeah. right? whatever that looks yeah. like. <laughs> and I think we all need those, honestly. Yeah. Um, so I want to change the um, subject a little mm -hmm. bit and explore about the death cafes. I am intrigued. Um, I know that you founded and facilitate the death cafe of Northeast Florida, and now they are in other places as well in the U.S., I, I believe. Um, They're actually all over the world. All uh, over the world now, okay. All, so if people want to know um, about death cafe, the best thing they can do is go to deathcafe.com mm -hmm. and that will tell you the whole history. But the, the brief history, as I understand it, is they actually originated in England uh, by a guy by the name of John Underwood. And um, he created them as a community space where people would come together at a cafe and talk about death. Mm -hmm. They'd drink tea, they'd have cake, and they it was just a community discussion about death. And so they grew from there, and they're now been like, I want to say 11 or 1,000 or more throughout the world. Wow. And so the Death Cafe of Northeast Florida in the United States, because that's the area in which I live, I knew we didn't have a death cafe in the area, so that's why I founded um, Death Cafe of Northeast Florida. But now, because of COVID-19, and, you know, I can tell you a whole lot of things COVID-19 has done for many of us that we're not necessarily happy about, right? Yeah. But what I can tell you is that since we now are doing virtual meetings, is that we now have people attending for example, the death cafe that I facilitate from all over the world. Like I did one recently, we had five different countries represented. Wow. So if any of your listeners in New Zealand, and, and there may well be, if you go to deathcafe.com, you may find uh, out that you've got death cafes here, mm -hmm. um, here in New Zealand. I, I didn't look at that before I came in, but that's easy to figure up out on their website because you put in where you live and they tell you one close to you. And I can put um, that in the show notes as well. I'll yes. have a look and post it there. That'd be awesome. And But my death cafe, for example, since we are virtual right now, I'm letting 
people attend from all over. Um, and, and what a death cafe is, is it really is a community discussion. So as facilitator, my job is to create a safe space for people to come together and talk about death and, and life. Mm -hmm. and whatever that may be. And even though, obviously, I have a lot to say about death, mm -hmm. right? I've taught a lot of classes and worked with a lot of people and accompanied a lot of people through their death. I'm not there to teach. I'm not there to have an agenda or tell anybody, hey, tonight we're going to be talking about your medical power of attorney, right? That's mm -hmm. not what it's about. It's a community discussion. So people who come, they either come just to observe and then just see what people talk about, or they come and say, hey, I want to talk about, and then they start talking, you know, like COVID-19 has obviously been a huge discussion mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. Um, and, and just dealing with all the things that come up about that. One of the common things that's come up about that is that for the first time, it's really registering with a lot of people that your loved one may not be able to be with you when you die, if yeah. you're in a hospital. And that's a really hard thing to have. That's to a really face. hard thing. So it's a community yeah. discussion about that. Certainly, it's altered the way I do some of my work. Um, and... and there's a whole discussion about that that I could have, but I'll, I'll set that aside for now. But just know that Death Cafe is a wonderful opportunity for people from all walks of life who would normally never be in the same room at the same time to come together and talk about whatever they want to talk about. And it's always, I walk out of, you know, every Death Cafe going, that was fascinating. Because I learn too. I learn what people are thinking about. I learn what's important to them. And it's everything from, I had this experience, you know, somebody talking about what do y'all think about this to discussions about well, what do you think happens when you die? Mm. You know, and, and everything in between. So everybody's and, bringing their elephants and we're yes. all, and they're part of yes. the conversation. Well said, that's yes. exactly what they're doing. Awesome. So I just want to um, recapitulate that people can um, come to the virtual meetings. And I know that some of the dates that you have for your um, Death Cafe of Northeast Florida are September the 14th, October the 5th, November the 2nd, and December the 7th. Um, I, once again, I will put those on the show notes um, and people can check out. I'm gonna check out if there is a Death Cafe here in New Zealand as well. And I'll put that on the show notes. Um, so thank you for explaining what death cafes were. I was so intrigued about that. Um, and I just wanted to um, make sure that, you know, like we're coming to the end of our conversation. It's, um, gosh, I just love talking to you. But I want to um, ask you um, a couple of questions now um, before we end. So if people want to get a hold of you and your services, um, where can they find you? The easiest place to find me is on my website, which is the, T-H-E, sacred, S-A-C-R-E-D, servant, S-E-R-V-A-N-T, dot com, the sacred servant dot com. The way that I started, the, the way my business became the sacred servant was that I've been doing this kind of showing up for people, kind of been that go-to person all my life. You know, like your neighbor gets a diagnosis. Oh, you need to call NADA. Um, and so when people would ask me, what is it that you call what you do? I would just always say, I'm a sacred servant. I'm here to help you, to support you, to do whatever I can to be with you. And then it's been in the last five, five years, seven years, that I came to understand the language of what an end-of-life doula is and went, oh, that's what I do. Oh, <laughs> this know? is wonderful. And so, so 
that's how I named it when it came time to name my coaching and my end of life doula services. I thought I, I'm a sacred servant, so I'll just call it sacred servant. That's beautiful. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the word doula has to do with uh, uh, somebody who serves or somebody who aids. Yes, that is exactly right. right. It, it's from ancient times. Um, the doulas that were in the household were, of course, we have birth doulas now, mm. right? And so in some ways, you know, an end of life doula is the other bookend, right? Mm. You've got yeah. the birth and you've got the, the death. Mm-hmm. And of course, some people believe that the death is actually just a birth into another experience or whatever that may be. Um, but, but yes, a doula is someone in ancient times that was uh, a servant in the household that accompanied people through these life and death situations. That's, that's just really beautiful. And I'm so glad that you found a name for this incredible service that you have dedicated your life towards. So I just want to be clear. I'm not the only sacred servant in the world. There are many. You're a sacred servant in the work that you're doing now by showing up authentically and sharing, you know, your personal experience because it will impact and help others. And so Yes, the name of my company is The Sacred Servant, um, but we're all sacred servants. That's what I believe, or certainly we have the ability to be. Yeah, and I I actually found in my own experiences of life that the times when I have been able to use my talents, my gifts, um, what I'm passionate about, um, to be of service to others. That was where I found most satisfaction and purpose for myself. Mm-hmm. So as somebody that serves, um, we have a, a, an interesting connotation about what a servant is in our Western way of mm-hmm. thinking. And it seems like somebody that is um, lower um, than everybody else, but it's actually, I think uh, every leader is really a servant. Every good leader should be. That, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. We come to that, serve those and empower those that are equals to us, each of us with our own unique gift. And so by doing that, we not only create community, but we find our personal fulfillment and purpose. And I really love that. Well, um, and if, if, you, if you think about it, when we serve others, we actually are serving ourselves. I mean, from the standpoint, I learn from, I've had, I can't, if I had a nickel for every person that said, oh my gosh, I couldn't do the work that you do. That's so hard Mm -hmm. to be with people at death and, and uh, grieving. And yet I will tell you that is some of the most enriching, Mm -hmm. just amazing experiences of my life that I've had the honor to, to do what I call walk people home, that I've had the honor of accompanying them. And I always learn from people, not only about them to where I incorporate that into my life, but I learn about myself and my own spiritual growth. I can relate to that too. It's um, because people do ask me, how do you do this? How do you talk to people about grief? That's so morbid. But I'm finding my life being enriched in so many ways by talking to people such as yourselves. Like, I just feel oh. really privileged because I, every single conversation, I feel like I get the most. Um, you know, it's just being um, some insights that uh, come from people that I could never get to that on my own. Um, so in, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm the one that is benefiting most from it. Well, and now talking about benefiting people, um, say, for example, that today you knew was the last day that you would have to live. In what ways would you like this day to be beneficial to yourself and to the people that you love? How would you spend your day if this was the last one you had? This was my last day. That's a great question. Um, I would 100% spend it with my family and in nature. I would make sure that I, nature is very important to me. 
uh, being outdoors, being near water, trees, for whatever. I just, I, I actually would love to die outside. I think that would be awesome. And I've actually had that discussion with my family. I have in Florida, here in, in the United States, I have what's called a lanai. And it's like a screened-in porch. And I have a chase lounge out there. And I've told nice. my husband, I am so okay. Just drag me out into the sun and I'm, I'm good. I'll die out there listening to the birds and whatever. And I actually have seen that done where someone, you know, what, what do you want to do? Well, I'd really like to go outside. I haven't been able to go outside in months and you kick up the wheels on the hospital bed and you wheel them out, you know, and that's my kind of the setting I would like. And of course, I would just make sure that I communicated to my children, to my grandchildren, to my husband, to all the people that I I love and care about, just how honored I've been to be a part of their lives and how they've enriched mine. And that I believe we'll see each other again. That I don't, you know, my personal belief is that, uh, and it's my personal belief, um, is that my body dies, but my soul goes on and so that's I just you know that would be the perfect day for me and I'd probably have watermelon (laughs) and (laughs) you know some of my favorite I'd want to you know of course that's pie in the sky stuff but I mean you know just very simply I just would love to be outside with my loved ones that'd be a great day you're the very first person that answered this question and has watermelon in it, yeah. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> I love Well, my grandparents grew watermelons, so that's a really happy, you know, having watermelon is such a, uh, just a, I have so many good childhood memories of working in the watermelon fields mm. and then coming and have an ice cold watermelon at the end of the day. So nice. that would be a lovely a lovely, if that were going to be my last meal, just give me some watermelon. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. So our very last question now. Oh, I don't want to let you go, but I have to. Okay. So our last question. Say now that you had a whole year to live mm-hmm. and this would be your very last year. What mm. kind of legacy would you like to live behind? Mm. Wow, that's a great question, too. First off, there's a really good book about that. It's called uh, One Year to Live. I want to say by Stephen Levine. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Um, But for me, if I had one year to live, I would basically do as many things as I could ever. So, for example, my husband, I've always wanted to take my husband to what's called the Black Hills of uh, here in America, the, it's in South Dakota, the West, I would do those kinds of things. You know what I mean? And, and again, that's a nature thing. You go to a cabin in the woods, that's, it's, you know, that's my kind of good time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would try to do the things that were on my bucket list. I do, I'd create more legacy for my children and for my grandchildren and for my grandchildren I haven't met yet if they're out there, mm-hmm. you know, by, by creating videos and doing writings and stuff like that so that the grandchildren who never meet me get some sense of what's important to me. Mm-hmm. There's something called an ethical will, and I help people write those as well. And what an ethical will is, is that you put down on paper or in some video or some recording the things that are really important to you that you want your legacy to be. So, for example, I would talk about integrity mm-hmm. and about how that's really important to me, about how it can be really hard to trust people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pardon me. And that. There will be times in your life where people will most likely violate your trust and what you get to choose to do that about that <clears throat> and about being a trustworthy person yourself about um, forgiveness, the power of forgiveness that when we 
fail to, when we choose not to forgive someone for hurting us, for mistakes they've made, for whatever, that it's like dragging a ball and chain behind us Mm. or a big old concrete block that, you know, is on a chain and we take it with us everywhere we go and how good it feels to just forgive people. Because really when we have lack of forgiveness in our heart, the person who's really hurt by it is us. Yeah. So those kinds of things I would spend, I would spend that year doing that. I'd spend a ton more time outside. Um, and I just, I'd enjoy my family again. I, you know, take my grandson on walks and my granddaughter on walks and say, you know, this is a sycamore tree, feel the bark of this versus this oak tree over here. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's very important in my culture to really be connected to the earth and and to just enjoy those moments that's really beautiful and just one little thing about forgiveness that I think you're so right about is that often we also don't forgive ourselves Mm. and and I think when we are dealing with grief there's a lot of regrets that we might have because we have said things that we wish we didn't or we did or did not do things um you know that we wish we could go back and um, replay that tape with the person that died. Um, and so for so many people, they are grieving regrets and guilt can, and, and unforgiveness can hold us back. Uh, you can also have the unforgiveness for the person that died. You might love them, but the relationships are complicated. And so the forgiveness sets us free Um, for us to be able to live the life that we still have to live. They didn't get the chance to live. We -hmm. get the chance to live. But then how do we want to live? It's not just about breathing air and waking up every morning. It's about the quality of the life that we now can create for ourselves in the light of the death that we have experienced. Absolutely. That is so, thank you for pointing, drawing attention to that, highlighting that, because it is when we don't have forgiveness for ourselves, I mean, it, it, again, it's, it it eats at us. And if I've learned anything over, again, I think I've already shared this to some degree from all of the people that I've accompanied and been around it's so many people do woulda coulda shoulda themselves Mm. and I try to tell people we don't shoulda on ourselves Mm. (laughs) you know um but it has what it has done for me is that it has made it to where I don't I don't my husband and I do not go to sleep every night without expressing gratitude for one another and you know telling each other that we love each other because yeah. there's no guarantee that we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah. And I, d- I haven't lived that way all my life, yeah. you know, because I have definitely done my share of going to bed ticked off, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> you know, for whatever you reason, you know, and that's a very normal human thing to do. But now what I've seen over the years is people who beat themselves up because, oh my gosh, my last words to, to you were not kind or was weren't loving or wasn't I love you or wasn't whatever and again that's the woulda coulda shoulda human part of questioning ourselves but we've got to let that go because at the end of the day it's the energy we loved these folks you know and so for we me, still do, you know. Yeah, so well, you not always just because will. they passed. With the love doesn't die. Yeah, we no, still love and them. And grief, grief just changes form. You know what I, I mean? It, 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 it. It's a. It, there's going to be good days and bad days with grief. That's just the nature of grief. And there is no expiration date on grief. I tell people this all the time. Do not think, oh, it's been a year. Poof, I'm supposed to be done now. It doesn't work that way. Um, so yeah, just absolutely forgive yourself, cut yourself some slack, you know, and Mm -hmm. I always, always tell people, you know, just realize that today you're doing the best that you can. And again, the Maya Angelou thing, 
tomorrow, if you know better, you'll do better. Yeah. You know? That's true. Well, it's been such a great pleasure to get to have this conversation with you. Um, I so appreciate your heart, your authenticity, your vulnerability, the amazing work that you do as a sacred Thank servant. Um, it's um, You have enriched my life today. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you for having me. And I wish everyone, uh, all of your listeners, the very best life and death mm. that they choose to have. I really, really do. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. God bless you too. Thank you so much. We have come to the end of our episode. And I want to acknowledge you, my darling, who have been listening to this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. Chances are you found crazy grief because you are grieving the death of your person or you want to support someone who is grieving. I am so sorry our paths have crossed in this way, but I am glad we found each other. My email is on the show notes. Please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Do subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star rating so we can continue to produce more meaningful conversations about grief. And remember, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. Take a moment to breathe, reach out to someone you trust, and be kind to yourself. Light and peace.